Hi everyone, it's Paul here. Welcome to Church Plant Chat. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have David McDougall, who is my boss. So uh, I get to uh, I get to interview him today and grill him. Uh, it's time to get payback. <laughs> so David, hello. <laughs> Hi there. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, likewise. And uh, we're we're interviewing in the midst of the coronavirus season. I think it's May, isn't it? Are we in May now? We're, yeah, we are. Just, uh, <laughs> I've lost track of all the days. Um, yeah. So, David, you've listened to a few of these. Um, you, you know the structure. And the first question yeah, I like. You've been doing a bit of work, you know, <laughs> in, in the middle of the coronavirus. You know, I'm glad to see you doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to get him back at some point. I'm going to have to get him back. <laughs> um, so, what's, what's the weirdest or strangest thing? that you've experienced in your years of of church planting you were going to say in my many years weren't you because you know how old <laughs> they're countless <laughs> countless years actually i was just before i came on i said to kim so how long have i actually been in ministry and uh, she said 33 years you've been in ministry 30 that's how old years. i she am got... <laughs> <laughs> she said um you got ordained deacon the year after that we got married. So, uh, yes. And in those 33 years, I can tell you some crazy things have happened. <laughs> I've been in some fantastic churches, uh, but with uh, also with some really weird uh, things happening. So when um, I planted a church into Sunbury on Thames called St. Saviour's, um, I took a plant team, which I'll talk about a bit later on, but... Um, you take a plant team, um, but actually, then when you get there, people join the church um, from the community. Fair enough. And sometimes you get people's uh, fringe church members from other churches that join the church. Anyway, I won't say the name of the person, but the, the strangest, most crazy thing that's ever happened to me in ministry is when one of these very odd people came up to me and said, David, David, he said, I've got a word for you. It's in tongues and I've written it down. <laughs> and I said, what? What? And I actually I actually kept it because oh I thought goodness. this is this is the weirdest <laughs> thing that I've ever, ever seen in my life. I actually <laughs> kept it. I just thought, oh, my goodness. God, in your church, you have got some very strange people. <laughs> For those and, people listening, David is now holding up some scribbles on the screen. I, uh, and <laughs> I have kept it in my odds and sods file. <laughs> and, and, and I just thought it is just the funniest, most weirdest, crankiest thing. But then, you know, God's church. Yeah. So you have that, a mixture of people. If that's tongues written down, then I think Evie, my five-year-old, has been having a lot of prophetic tongue words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of lots of weird things have happened, but that is for me oh, that is the that strangest is brilliant. thing that ever, <laughs> <laughs> ever happened. So I should probably mention David um, isn't planting himself uh, anymore, but he has a, a track record of of uh, leading church plants and then also uh, being uh, part of the catalyst for other ones to happen over the years and now in his later years of ministry <laughs> he um he he is he is heading up St Mary's Church in Bletchley and he is planting planters elsewhere 
within the Milton Keynes um, deanery to, to, to aid church growth and to see God's kingdom come here in Milton Keynes. So today we're going to be looking a bit about at David's lessons from planting in years gone by. And I'm sure other stuff will unfold as, as we go through. So, David, how did you how did you actually get into church planting in the first place? When when you were ordained deacon, was it always on your heart to go forward with planting or is it something that emerged during your curacy or, or elsewhere? No, that's a great question. I um I, I was thinking through the, the different plants and I reckon that either directly or indirectly, um I've been involved with eight, eight different church plants. Um, and some of the churches that I've been ministering in actually have now planted after that, but then I've not been directly involved in those because they, they've got planting, but I'm really glad that they are. Um, but how did I get into all this in the first place? Well, when I was a curate here at St Mary's Bletchley, because I've done a, a, a huge circle and God's called me back to Milton Keynes, which I absolutely love um, being here. Um, but when I was a curate here um, in the 1980s, I, I really, I've always been called to, to evangelism and mission. That's, you know, that's my priority, um, to see people come to Jesus. That's, that's what my life is about. I, that is the focus, the focus of it. And uh, when I was here, um, Ian Pusey, the, the rector then, he said, uh, you know, he loved the fact that mission was my main thing. And he said, you know, concentrate on that, David, and, you know, we'll just let you have freedom. So I said to him one day, oh, well, I'd like to go down to London and I'd love to talk to John Irvin, who is the, the guy who planted St Barnabas in Kensington. And that was the first HDB plant. And I, I said to Ian, I'd love to just go down you know, maybe once a week or once a fortnight and just spend some time with John. And uh, so <clears throat> they did that. They let me do that. They gave me the expenses and the time to do that. So I went down to uh, St Barnabas, Kensington, and and met with that holy, lovely man, you know, uh, who gave, who, who was so gracious with me and just let me just um, ask him, grill him like you're grilling <laughs> me and others. Look, I asked him loads of questions about church planting and I put together a little paper and uh, over several weeks and then came back to St. Mary's Bletchley's PCC and said, oh, this is what I've discovered about church planting. And I'd, I'd love us to be doing it here at St. Mary's Bletchley. And, you know, what do you think? And the PCC didn't, you know, didn't disagree with me. Um, they thought it was a good idea. They didn't quite know how it could happen, but actually they they, they certainly took it on board at the time. And, and then and then I promptly left because um, it was the end of the curacy and uh, and I went on um, to the next parish. So when I was ordained, if you'd asked me what my what my calling would be, it would be, you know, to be evangelist and to be, you know, preaching the gospel and uh, not really to be a church planter. But um, but I, I, I sort of found a real interest in church planting and, and then sort of researched it, wrote about it. And then, you know, went into ministry from there. So that's that's how it all got started anyway. Yeah. And I've um, I've, I've become aware whilst doing these podcasts that some may be listening, thinking um, it, it's, it's a different kind of call being a planter or people may be misinterpreting it, thinking I'm not that kind of person that can plant the church because I'm not this, that and the other. And I'm concerned that I'm potentially putting people off from planting because 
there's a specific uh, a specific thing about it when actually what I want to be doing is helping to enable people to see that actually we you can be planting so that's why I like to ask the question of how the call to it emerged because essentially we as church leaders there should we should all have in my opinion an element of pioneering in our ministries we should all have an element well it should be the first and foremost element to preach the gospel and share it to want to see new growth shouldn't it so what i'm trying what i'm getting at i think is do you think people need a specific call to plant and i'm asking this for my own discernment as well or do you think it's simply we need to be willing to say god i'm here just put me wherever you want and if that ends up being a plant great if it ends up being a church and needs revitalization, great. Do you think there's a, a, a certain distinction between the planters' call and other church leadership call, or is it just it's a free fall? Okay, I am going to answer your question, but I, I, I want to start in a slightly different place. But I want to say first of all that there's nothing new about church planting. <clears throat> church planting is as old as the church itself, thousands of years. We've been planting. It should be natural to us. It shouldn't be, oh, let's get really excited about church planting and people are thinking it's really sexy and great and, oh, well, let's do it. You know, this is the latest trend. Let's jump on board this bandwagon. No, we've been on this. We've been on this planting bandwagon, if you want it to call it that, for thousands of years. Mm. And every church, you know, was planted at some point. The church, you know, that you're in now, if you're listening to us on this, you know, it was planted by somebody. And it takes really a plethora of different people to plant churches because actually there's no one set of gifts that says, ah, they're obviously a church planter. Mm. I think that's something that I've realised, you know, very clearly over the years. So, for instance, one of the local, one of the most recent um, plants, if you like, that we've been involved with here at St Mary's is actually... um, to bring alive again a church which was was struggling, called uh, Surprise Wise, and Catherine, um, but the, the 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 vicar there is is the leader of that of that transplant of that regeneration of, of of that church. Would she say she was called to be a a church planter? I'm sure we'll ask her, but I'm sure she wouldn't say that was her first calling. Is she the right person to be there and to be the leader of that transplant? Oh, my goodness, yes. And the exponential growth that she is seeing is absolutely fantastic. So church planting is nothing new. So why, why as a Church of England, you know, we suddenly think, oh, gosh, you know, this is something we should be doing. And that what we always should be doing, every church plant is utterly different. Uh, depending on the context of where you plant depends on the sort of leader it needs. And and so just as every every plant is different in many ways, uh, almost every planter is, is different. So mm. I think there's an awful lot of church leaders who who could be planters themselves that haven't even thought about it. Mm. As I think there are lots and lots of churches that could be church planting. If you're over 100, 150, really, really, you, you know, it would be great if you, if you were planting out because. Um, especially as we face church being really different in the future anyway, um, it's probably better that churches are smaller and so we spread wider right across this nation um, in, a, in an experimental way. So I think that would be my answer to your, yeah. your question. 
that's really yeah. helpful. And I'm, uh, I think out of this COVID nineteen season, I believe there'll be a fresh wave of planting that takes place um, in the UK, and I'm sure further afield. But I, I just can't help but think it's uh, God will use it as a catalyst for planting to explode. And um, they may have mentioned it in my church history lectures back at college, and I may have missed it. But I was <laughs> just wondering, uh, I was just wondering, maybe have some insight into it, and if not, that's fine. But what has, what do you think caused their, like you say, churches were planted way back when, and now the last, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, there's a resurgence of planting. What do you think happened in that middle bit? Was there a 400-year silence on planting from God? Or was it, why, why did the church fall asleep to planting in that time, do you think? Or maybe it didn't fall asleep, but why, the, the initial churches that were planted, why, why were they not, why was there not a continuation of that momentum, do you think? Why is it, why has it had to go full circle and almost be rebirthed again, do you think? Mm. I mean, as you read through Acts, you can see from home to home, um, which again, coming back to our context now, you know, church in the home is just that's such an exciting uh, thought and actually developing um, smaller churches. So you can see how it, it started. And then churches over the over thousands of years, you know, people, the church becomes established, doesn't it, and gets into a certain routine. And I think, unfortunately, instead of having the balance of the inward, the outward and the upward um, sense of, 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 of that purpose of church, I think we've become so inward. Mm. Um, and if you like, upward, that actually we have forgotten. And I think the outward nature of church has really got lost over the years. And so I think God's just, you know, really uh, wanting us to, to, to rediscover that. And he's helping the church to rediscover that. Actually, I'm, I am thrilled to be a, a Church of England minister because the Church of England is doing amazing things mm. in our day and has changed unrecognisably in yeah. the last in the last 10 years. I mean, the, the bishops now, you know, talking openly, encouraging uh, church planting. It's, just, it's fantastic. So I think um, I'm glad to say that we're, we're changing. But I think through the danger of... Um, of church just being for us and it being so incredibly important that it's just pastoral work you know um and our relationship with each other and our relationship with god is the most important thing actually jesus came to seek and save the lost mm. and so you know we've really had to sort of refocus the church and um the crazy thing that we had a decade of evangelism what what why have a decade no we need you know it's millennia of of, of evangelism isn't it and it's yeah. holding it's holding the balance of being out and up all the time <coughs> and i think god praise god that he is actually helping us now to get that balance right yeah that's really interesting so i took us off on a bit of a tangent there uh, it wasn't planned so tell us then, your first plant, how many plants were, because I don't actually know this, were you, did you lead before we talk about the first, or was it the one and then the others you just got involved in here and there? Yeah, so for 12 years, I led a plant. So okay. that, was a lo that was a long part of my 33 years. So okay. actually, before I planted myself, I was helping other plants to get going. Yeah. And, after, and during the, the time of the plant at St. Saviour Sunbury, 
I was encouraging other plants to get going. Okay. And afterwards, I've been encouraging church, uh, plants to get going. But for 12 years, um, I, I led the, the church plant, uh, which was a transplant into St. Saviour's Sunbury. So, yeah, I can tell you the story of that. Is that what you want to know? Yeah. Would you like um, yeah. to start there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the brilliant bishop, um, Michael Colclough, down in, in Kensington, who was just the most beautiful pastoral bishop, he approached me and he said, look, St. Saviour's Sunbury is in a strate strategic place. Um, we don't want to lose it. It's got 18 or 19 people left in it. Um, it's been uh, high Latin sort of a Catholic church, really, Anglican church for, for years with this tiny group of people. in it. They're losing the war, David. Would you go and help them win the war? That's what the bishop said to me. He said, I don't know how you're going to do it. He <laughs> said, but, but I would love you to do it. I'd love you to have a go at it. So I went to Andrew Watson, who was the, the vicar of uh, St. Stephen's East Twickenham, where I was based at the time. And I said, look, the bishops um, asked us to look at this. What do you think? He's asked me to lead it. And I'd love to take a team from St. Stephen's Twickenham uh, to do this thing. And Andrew and I, we prayer walked around the Sunbury area. We thought about it. We discussed it with some people and actually really sensed um, God's call. And in fact, um, I felt a specific call to um, uh, that church from Acts 16, when Paul has a vision about going over to Macedonia and uh, being told to go over to Macedonia and help them. And I felt actually in the scriptures, I felt that God actually said to me, David, go over to Macedonia and help them, go over to Sunbury and help them. So I felt really called to that. And and in different ways, uh, Kim as well felt, we've always done things together, we've always agreed things together. And she felt really called as well to St. Saviour Sunbury. And so we agreed with St. Stephen's Twickenham that we, we would do this thing. And um, so over a period, I think, of about six months, we held open meetings in the church and said, you know, if you're interested in coming with us to plant it's about four miles up the road from from Twickenham it's not really very far 316 and uh, and we we held, held over meetings and we said you know if you if you aren't up for a challenge please don't come it's going to be tough it's we're going into a very different um uh, culture St Stephen's East Twickenham is in East Twickenham which is very educated very wealthy very lovely and we loved living there and we'd love to see the church grow um massively in, in in our in our time there um but st saviour sunbury is on it's not down by the river it's up on the estates it's right on the edge of the motorway high rises crime uh, drugs real broken families rooted families but broken families and uh it, it was very different to leafy leafy twickenham so we we really told people that, you know, it wasn't going to be easy if you, if, you, if you joined us, but we would love people from the heart of the church. And I think this is one of the things that I, that I learned doing it. And I, I've, learned, I've sort of been thinking a lot about since that actually the people that you want, especially in that kind of transplant situation into a difficult place as we went into, you need people who I would call the gold of the church, you know, people from the heart of the church. So people from the core of St. Stephen's. Uh, some moved up to Sunbury's, uh, some just commuted up to Sunbury, but there, we had 35 amazing people who were called by God uh, to go with us in, into Sunbury. With the kind of 18 or 19 people that were left in, in the church. And, uh, and so the adventure began over 12 years. And I tell you, I loved every moment of it. Um, 
I love seeing people come to Jesus, loved getting the, the old skip around the back of the church car park, filling it with water and baptizing people because that's the only way we could do it. And, um, and we had amazing baptisms on that car park behind the church there as people came to Christ, were baptized and then they began their discipleship journey. And I, I don't regret any any moment of those those church planting years. Kim and I. Uh, our children grew up there in a beautiful old vicarage behind the the church. We saw that the the, the um, community begin to be really served. That church was only open a few hours every week before we arrived, and uh, and once St Saviour's really got going, it was open every day for hours and hours and hours, and it was serving people. You know, it was feeding people, it was caring for people, uh, it was loving the elderly and the isolated. It was seeing tremendous inroads into all sorts of things. A food bank opened, cap got going, uh, all sorts of things happened, and, and it was just. It was a total, total adventure. I love the fact that when we got there, um, people did join us from other churches because they felt called, not because they just wanted to transfer in because it was exciting what was happening, but they lived there. So I'll give you one story because I could probably talk for too long and you probably have to curb me a bit because there's lots of things I could talk about. But when we arrived there, the vicarage was a mess. The vicarage land was a mess. And the vicarage land was acres. It was huge. So we got the diocese to fence it off. That was the first thing that we got them to do. That was great. The diocese were brilliant. So was the bishop. And we fenced it off. And the team that I had, we physically cleared the land ourselves. We brought it right down to the ground. We, we found cars, televisions, um, drug needles, the lot in, in that land. It was it was really awful. And we totally cleared the land. In order to clear the land, we had loads and loads of bonfires. And um, the, the neighbours were getting, a, understandably, a bit cross with us. So this guy called Dave Barcher, he, he, kept, he stormed round to the vicars and said, what are you doing? What are these barbecues? All these, are these bonfires and barbecues? But bonfires, all this smoke is going in my house. I'm really fed up with you. You're, it's dreadful. This isn't a witness. He was a Christian from the Vineyard Church. And he was really cross. And I took it. So I, I thought, oh, goodness. OK, here we go. So <laughs> I took him around the back of a vicarage. And Kim made him we, Kim made him a cup of coffee. And uh, I walked him around the land and showed him why the bonfires were happening and, and what was happening. And he couldn't believe it. He said, uh, he said, so who are you? What's going on here? And we shared within the vision. And um, you could see, as the conversation went on, the light dawning on him. And before he left the house, he turned to Kim and I and he said, I need to tell you something. He said, my father um, grew up in the house just over there that looks over this land of the vicarage and can see the, the St. Saviour's Church. He said, every morning... For 30 or 40 years, my father prayed for revival to come to Sunbury. Mm. And I'm really sorry I moaned. And I'm really, it's amazing what you're doing. Keep doing it, stuff the bonfires. <laughs> and, um, and, and Dave Barch ended up being one of my church wardens. Most wow. special, godly, wonderful man than his wife, Sue. And uh, uh, there, I could give you countless examples of that. i just give you one more before I finish on the St. Saviour's bit. But... Um, you never know what you've got until you get there. And uh, amongst those 18 people that were left in St. Saviour's, do you know what I discovered? I discovered people, lovely Christian people, 
who had been frightened to tell their vicar they'd done Alpha in secret. They, they literally, they had done Alpha in a, in a little church down the road because they wanted to know more about Christ. And so they became Christians and they, through Alpha in another church, but then stayed with St. Saviour's Church under the, the previous, with the previous leadership. Um, and they were gold. And then I discovered another couple who came to Christ during the Billy Graham Crusades and had kept it quiet all the years because actually they knew that the people or the vicar certainly wouldn't have liked um, uh, them talking about it. So they, they kept it really quiet. And we, we arrived and, I, and Kim and I went and had tea and, and, and coffee and cakes in them in their homes before we really got going. That was Kim's idea. Brilliant mm -hmm. to actually sit down and, and listen to the story and and to hear people. And this lovely couple uh, told us about how they came to faith and how they were so excited we were coming because they felt actually they'd be able to be open about their faith. And uh, so, you know, the hi hidden treasures like that come up. Um, and, yeah, you get your weirdos as well. Um, <clears throat> but, 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 my goodness, um, yeah, we, we, it was a, a really, really exciting adventure. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, oh, I've written down a whole bunch of questions out of that. I need to pick what I'm going to ask. A couple of things. You, um, did you inherit people from the church that you transplanted into? Was it the, so? There was an existing group. That that was the eighteen. Yeah. yeah. What was yeah. <clears throat> what was the change management like within within that? How how did that go? Well, that that was really hard because actually we we were going to do such a different thing. And that, the thing uh, that was amazing was that those eighteen people, including um, one existing church warden, no, there were two existing church wardens still when I arrived. And they unanimously agreed that um, I could come with a with a plant, um, and they unanimously agreed that they wanted me to be their leader. So that was that was fantastic. I mean that that, that was a miracle in itself, really, because that that's not always true. Um, sometimes a bishop's mission order has to happen in order for things to happen. But this this was an amazing story, and um, but of course. When we moved in and when we wanted to get going, actually, we wanted to do things very differently. So you have to have this sort of balance. So what I decided was that a, a Eucharistic ministry for those people was very, very important. So for the first year, I maintained the early morning communion in their church only for a year or so. But for the first year or so, um, I, I maintained that, 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 that traditional communion service. And, uh, and kept it in very much a similar way, not using exactly the same liturgy as they'd had before, but using an Anglican liturgy and carefully and, and loved them through that. And they, so they came to that. And I did say to them from the beginning that when it went down to a certain number, that actually it would become not viable and, and really that, 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 you know, that would end. But the other thing we did was Kim and I, we developed a Wednesday service um I, I think they had had something before on a wednesday as well but i developed that and, and uh changed it a fair amount we had a, a really beautiful quiet gentle communion with teaching and worship on a wednesday morning at 10 o'clock and that helped those 18 people so much mm -hmm. so that even when the <clears throat> early sunday morning one closed they actually uh, loved coming to the wednesday and, uh, and and found a real home there and i think that eased things because actually so much change I mean when we arrived in that building there were um, there were uh, 
figures of Mary hanging over, you know, people, and Jesus on a cross hanging over a whole corner of the church. And it was like really, it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't, it wasn't church architecture at its best. It was really oppressive and difficult. And children would come in and they'd be really, uh, it would be uncomfortable at, at, at this Jesus sort of hanging with blood dripping down his body. So we kind of got rid of all of that stuff and we, we got rid of all the pews and we, we, we got this clear uh, space. And if you go there today, it's even better now. They, they're doing a fantastic job. And in fact, the church is going from strength to strength. They're doing, they want to plant youth uh, congregations now, which is fantastic. Um, but we cleared all that, leveled the floor, put underfloor heating in, painted the church for the first time on the inside. So there was an enormous amount of change, physical change. In fact, something that I've done every year, wherever I am, is that there's one significant change in the church building every year at least, because actually we need to learn and have a culture that, that, that change is right and change is necessary and the church is moving on. And, um, and that was certainly true of, of St. Saviour Sunbury. And so I think they got used to change but at the same time pastorally I think we were uh, hopefully we were really careful with those yeah. I mean it was interesting there was a, a one of the church wardens at, um, was difficult the other the other one wasn't but when I arrived one of the church wardens the existing church wardens you can imagine sort of taking on a, uh, a transplant with two existing wardens can be quite interesting uh, one of them was just a blessing and and, uh, and the other one said to me when I first started he said I'm going to be your devil's advocate. He actually used those words. I, still to, these, <laughs> to this day, I'm shocked that anybody would say that to a clergyman. But, but anyway, he did. Bless him. Over the years, he softened and softened and softened. And he really is. And he, and he saw his church fill up and start to do other plants. And I think actually, you know, we won him over. I, I had him as a church warden for about a year. <laughs> um, but, you know, actually over the years we did win him over. So, you know, it's a difficult question you've asked me there. But, and, and, and probably I made lots of mistakes as well um, in bringing too much change. But at the same time, it had to. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. Yeah. Um, and what about building the vision? for that plant did you and Kim have an idea <clears throat> the minute you got there as to what you were going to do or did you develop it with the core team that you built How, what were those early days of planning vision like yeah so basically there's a a, a, a vision for church planting um, it's written in a book you can just read it and you can just take it and you can say right okay this is what we're going to do because this is what everybody does and it's a blueprint for church planting. And so, you know, that that's going to work, isn't it? And, and of course, that's a load of rubbish. And um, there is no blueprint for church planting. So, you know, leaders need to really take heart about that because actually vision comes top down and, and, and bottom up. It really is both both ways and has to be caught in the context, uh, uh, as much as it, as it is, some of it is listen to, you know, you catch from God and you bring in with you. To, to a certain extent, there are things in me that God's called me to do, you know, in being more sort of evangelistic and apostolic. You know, I, I'm an initiator, I'm a pioneer, I want to get things going. So, so to a certain degree, I bring things with me because of who I am. 
But that shouldn't and never has actually meant the whole vision of, of, of a church, because actually with the group of people, the 35 that came with me from St. Stephen's and with the 18 that were left in uh, St. Saviour's, you know, when we got there, um, together we actually discovered what the heart of God or what was on the heart of God for that community. And then you begin to do those things. And if they are right, they'll be fruitful. And if they aren't, you kill them quick because actually it's no no point in doing things those things anymore. And I think it's that that's something that I've learned over the years, that there are some things the church has been doing for years and years and years, which we desperately need to let go of. And there are some things that we we experimented with and we need to be continuously experimenting without any fear of failure. But then if it isn't working, say, OK, that's not working. We bury it. And as Anglicans, we're very bad at that. We just want to keep everything going the same so that actually, you know, and it just exhausts people. What it does, it does more damage than exhausting. It, what it means is you can't do some of the experimentation that God, that the Holy Spirit is really calling you to do. So, you know, a vision um, c comes up uh, uh, from the people that you're working with and also uh, comes from uh, the, the leader that God has made you and uh, and as you study the scriptures together and as you listen to the Holy Spirit together, it forms. You have to start with something. So, of course, when you, you plant, you know, you, you, you go in with what you've got, which isn't very much usually. But you go in with what you've got. And anyway, you can always do the up in and out thing, you know, because every church can have a vision that's a, a basic vision because it should be because it's a biblical, biblical model, if you like. But the essence of a vision totally depends on the the context in which you you know you go into and really one of the things they did teach me at Ridley Hall College um, in Cambridge was that if the if the liturgy and life of a church doesn't reflect its neighborhood it's never going to reach it <clears throat> if the, yeah. and I really I've lived that I, I really believe that and and that's one of the things that in this context where I know that actually you know, do we at St Mary's really reflect our area? Not enough is the answer to that. We do, but we want to do so more more than we are. We want to reflect our area more. In our area, we've got incredibly wealthy people. We've got incredibly poor people. We've got everything in between. Does our church reflect that? Does it reflect the multicultural aspect of uh, of, of the area we're in? And the answer is no, not enough, really. And, and so that would be my... Yeah. stab at your question yeah <laughs> and so what have been uh and it doesn't have to be specific to the first plant um what have, what were some of the lows of planting for you because obviously it's exciting it's fun it's adventurous but quite often we don't hear about just how difficult it is for the planter for if they have a family the planter's family the strain you can put on them and so on i think it's useful for people who are planting who are joining plants for other leaders in neighbouring parishes, actually, to get an understanding of just how difficult it can be for those people. So can you share some of the lows or some of the difficulties that you went through as a family? Yeah, really hard to move from St Stephen's to St Saviour's and uproot the family. Um, and we, we, we definitely made some mistakes there in terms of we should have left one of them in their secondary school. We, we, we could have done more to actually help with that. But actually, um, it, was, it, was, it is a sacrifice for a, a clergy family. We, I mean, we've tried not to move too much, actually, over the years. 
but um, that move, although it was only four miles up the road, was we we went into a whole whole new world, a whole different world, and uh, and that that was that was difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, looking back on it, none of us would do it. We wouldn't not do it, but. Um, but in terms of changing the schools and, and all of that, it was difficult. Five years in to the plant at St. Saviour's Sunbury, I personally hit a wall. Um, if you've ever run a marathon, I've only run half marathons, but um, when you run a marathon, you, know, you get to a point where unless you can run through that wall, you're really in, in, in trouble and probably stop. Um, and in terms of leadership in a church plant at five years, I really did hit a wall. And I was so tired and it had taken so much out of me. And the wardens and I had uh, decided that actually um, that I was to take off two days a week for, you know, a, quite a period of time. I think it was about six or eight months. And I took two days off a week. Possibly you could argue clergy should do that anyway. I don't know. But I think actually for me, that was absolutely crucial because I'd been running hard. I mean, I'm an excitable person, as you probably tell. And I, I, I love life. I love ministry. And I, I'm, I, I'm not afraid of hard work. But I was tired. And so those two days were golden. And I'll tell you another thing that happened because um, things had got tough was when when you're a, uh, you've got a young family in ministry, um, it's important to be there at those horrible hours and, uh, you know, sort of early afternoon to early evening. And uh, so actually, you know, you're there uh, with the feeding you know, and the bathing and the playing and the after school work, you know, the homework and all the rest of it. In the early years, you know, it's really important to be there in that period of the day. I think I got that bit right. But then teenage years came and I didn't get it right because the church plant was asking me for so many evenings and I was out so much, so many meetings. It was crazy. And uh, one of my wardens, again, the same guy, actually, Dave Berkshire, he came to me and said, don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of being out all these evenings, he said, because it, it won't help the faith of your children. They'll just resent you. He said, turn it on its head now. He said, um, the early evenings aren't any good to the family anymore. You need to be there in the mid to, to one o'clock in the morning time so that you can go and pick them up from wherever they yeah. are. And, and so we turned it on its head. And from that, that day, from the challenge day, uh, I did um, three evenings a week for at least two or three years, which at the time was was difficult. I found it really difficult to sort of make that change. And even the church found it difficult. But do you know what? That was an absolute rescue uh, to, to my family and, and, and to me to do that. And, and taught me as well that about delegation and, and that other people can do things. It doesn't have to be the planter. It doesn't have to be the vicar all the time. It, you know, I, I think one of the things I've always wanted to do and I've enjoyed is, is teams. I love building strong teams where people can really, you know, grow and fly and have, you know, have real joy in ministry. So... Yeah, those are some of the so those are some of the tricky things that yeah. uh, that we hit. And how um, we've spoken about the change element with existing people in the church, and obviously the difficulties with family. Did what was your experience like with other church leaders in the area that you transplanted into? How were you received as a church plant team? Did they even know you were there? Or, you know, or, or or what? What was what was that dynamic like for you guys? Um, 
I think initially um, some of the local clergy were suspicious and unhappy about the idea. Um, and I think it took a few years, probably took two or three years to actually <clears throat> and really involve myself in chapter and, you know, in the Anglican meetings and um, and, and really get involved in the area for, to, to sort of serve serve them really and to be of encouragement to them really it took a, a few years but once that had happened um actually i found that you know some clergy ended up being really supportive and then i became area dean as well as um, vicar of st Saviour Sunbury. and i think that really again spoke a lot to, to say actually you know we can bless the anglican system from the inside um much better than we can sort of moan at it from the outside and so, uh, yeah, I was, you know, vicar of St. Saviour Sunbury and area dean of Spurthorne. And I think that just showed that I was really committed to the, the whole area and wanted to see the area go, grow. And, and actually, partly through that, um, the St. Mary's Littleton um, plant happened because, because actually relationships were good. I mean, that was a, a, another transplant from St. Saviour's uh, into Littleton and Tim Rose, brilliant guy, um, took his family there really really tough view interesting interview but um yeah so I, th I think in the end through praying together and through serving and through yeah understanding and quite often clergy would come and visit St Davis to see what was going on and I really encouraged that I'm never never threatened by another vicar bit coming into town yeah and how and I think I mean it's mixed everywhere you go and everyone you speak to but I think there is a general suspicion of planters coming into areas um, that may be other leaders patches if you like how can we help other leaders embrace church planters coming into a neighboring parish or even in their same parish how, how can we help build bridges for that um, in, in order to enable more planting to happen do you think based on your experience well, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying in a way, in that actually in Deanery Chapter, quite a lot, a lot of the gripes come up, don't they? And mm -hmm. uh, and you can, you know, people debate and talk with each other about these things. And actually, because I was there, and then because I was area dean, I actually was able to encourage that. We did have open discussions about church planting. Not that some of the clergy ever would ever want to do it, um, but actually they become they became more accepting of it. I think also. One of the thing, things that Kim's been really good at and, and we've been really good at is is, is hospitality. And, um, and you know, here in Milton Kings as well, you know, I just think that we, we want to reach out and have dinner together with people and sit with them and, and bless them. And when people come to dinner, we really like to bless people. We like it to go, well, we you know, have candles and we have, you know, Kim does amazing desserts. They are incredible. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think actually, you know, you... you by loving people, serving people, and, and asking them, you know, what can we really pray for for your situation? Um, and for them to not think, gosh, we're looking at their situation as the next transplant situation, you know. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think through, through praying, loving, serving, and being involved and not shouting from the distance, you know, about things, but actually that's... It, Jesus, you know, he, he was he incarnated himself into the world. We need to be incarnational in our approach, I think, to ministry. And that in itself is sacrificial. And I was actually well, part of the this COVID-19 
time has meant I've sort of been clearing my office a bit and sorting it out. Um, and I was just looking through some of my old diaries um, last night and just recording some of the things I did in 1994. And I was thinking, how on earth did I manage to do that much in a year? You know, it's quite crazy. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, you have to be in it, don't you? You have to be with people. You have to be involved and and take the rap sometimes. You know, when people were unhappy, I tried to go and see them and actually see them face to face. And some people wouldn't be prepared to do that. That's 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 fine. And that's then their issue. But then at least you can offer. Yeah. Um, one uh, vicar in the Svelton area really loved the fact that when I was clearing out St. Uh, Saviour's of all, all, all of its stuff, um, he wanted the statue of, uh, of Mary, so he was really happy. So I, I took I took Mary back, took took Mary down on the back of my uh, uh, in the back of my car, and uh, arrived at his church. And he was horrified that I, I'd got her on the back seat with a with a, <laughs> a safety belt round her. He <laughs> couldn't believe I'd done it. I don't know whether he thought I was going to process it down, <laughs> you know, sort of hold a generator. But I just put her in the back of the, you know, the, the VW and the. <laughs> to, he was anyway. He was happy about having the statue. Yeah, but it's it's better than having to ride on a donkey for miles, isn't it? <laughs> um, so. We're, we're, we're approaching an hour. Time has just zoomed by as it often does when we chat. Um, what you've, you've spoken a lot about the plant that you led and, and you've mentioned that you've uh, pioneered other planters and you've done two whilst at St Mary's and hopefully I'll be the third. Uh, without getting too personal <clears throat> uh, and, uh, and grilling me too much, what, what would you say, is, is there a common pitfall that you've seen in planters is there if is there something you're really conscious of when you're raising up and sending out planters that you're mindful you want to protect them from as they prepare and go out or is it different for every single one i think i think one of the things that i want to say to, to planters um is you can't please everybody you're not going to please everybody. And if you try to please everybody all the time, you'll end up really not doing much because you, you'll put so much energy into trying to please people that that, that then you'll just be consumed by that and, and, and the amount of, of, of kingdom work you can do. Because actually, conflict is part of the package, I'm afraid. Mm. That's, that's how it is. And I think if somebody can't handle conflict, I think, I think that is a real issue, actually. I think... Um, we need to be able to handle conflict. I've not always been able to handle conflict well. I've really learned along the way. So, um, but now I feel that you know I can handle it better. I still don't like it. I hate conflict. But I'd love everybody to love what I was doing, what I was thinking, and what we we were doing, and what we were thinking of as a church. But the, the reality is that that, that people um, people don't. I think another thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is, um, and I feel this really strongly, is that isolation is a real killer mm. isolation for leaders is a real killer and support networks are absolutely crucial when i was at ridley hall we were encouraged to be in uh, to go into groups of three and try and keep those those uh, groups you know into ministry I was so, so glad that Ridley Hall uh, encouraged me to do that, honestly. I, 
David um, Proud and Peter Law have travelled with me uh, over all these years, and we formed a little network of the three of us. I've been, I'm in other networks as well, so that I'm not in, a, I'm not isolated. But this particular network for for 30 years, it's changing now because they both retired and uh, and uh, I'm quite far away from them. But for 30 years, the three of us met for the inside of a day every month. Can you imagine that? I, for the inside of a day, every month for 30 years, we met, we chatted. We didn't have a, you know, it wasn't so super spiritual. We met in a pub. We chatted things through. We had a lovely meal. We had a beer together. And, and then and we, uh, we prayed for each other. And we said we prayed for, you know, we listed things that we wanted prayer for in the longer term as well until, we, for, until the next month. But actually, that support network has been an absolute lifeline to me and there have been other prayer triplets and other support teams and the philo trust being an associate being part of the college evangelists uh, being involved with new wine and soul survivor in the early years for, or for many years those support structures are so incredibly important to because i, I want to get to the end of ministry which is you know six or seven years off I, I want to make it. I want to make it to the final post, you know. And I, I, I know I won't do that if I, if I isolate myself, if I, if I don't have the support system and I don't offer that support system to others. Mm. And so I, I feel that keep, I feel it's so important that a leader, a planter, keeps connected um, because connection makes things so much healthier, so, so much stronger. Prioritise your marriage, if you're married, and, and, and family life, absolutely crucial. And learn to rest well and have hobbies. Not just talk about church planting or church all the time in your house, but <laughs> talk about other things. It's too boring for your wife, your partner, your family. Far too boring. They need to talk about all sorts of other things. They don't want to hear about church all the time. <laughs> and uh, these things, I think, are really, really important. Yeah. Is there? We're going to close in a minute, but is there anything else that will, that you were burning to share today that I, I perhaps have missed or, or haven't asked you that you wanted to reflect on before we close? I think my final just thought would be uh, we need to experiment. We need to be creative. We need to be imaginative. Holy Spirit, help us do that. We need to be, we need to be courageous and audacious. And unless God turns up, you know, it, it's not going to happen. That that stuff is really important. Some of my curates have taught me that over the years. <laughs> um, uh, Paul Ox Oxley uh, was one of my curates down in London, and he, he, he was always on about being audacious. And uh, I, I agree with him. And we need to, without fear of, of failure. If we plant something and it fails, that's OK. You know, we over the years, we put some leaders in place and, and it hasn't worked out. And uh, that's really sad. But that's how it is. You, mm. you don't not do it because sometimes it goes wrong. You you continue to do it and and, and, and experiment and, and see where we go. But I think in terms of the Church of England, we are in the most exciting uh, period of history, I think, in terms of actually really experimenting in all kinds of ways. And I praise God for the bishops and for SDF and the different ways that they're finally enabling us to really uh, experiment. Yeah, and uh, you've given lots of encouragements and leadership tips along the way. But what, if you could pick just one thing, what encouragement or piece of advice would you give to a, a prospective planter? 
if you could pick just one thing? In the secret place, mm. in the quiet place, stick close to Jesus. In word and, and, and with the Holy Spirit, waiting on the Holy Spirit of God every day, keep close to Jesus mm. because without him, the boat will sink. Yeah. But with it, with him, it won't. Mm. And all the storms can rage around. But stay close to Jesus, because in the end of the day, it, if our faith isn't personal and real, and ha if it hasn't got that vitality, then mm. you know it's so very, very important. And uh, stay close to Jesus. He's he's staying close to you, but will you stay close to him? And, you know, spend that time. However you do it, there's no great evangelical blueprint for doing that, that, that. But actually, however is right for you, but stay close to Jesus and, and wait on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Live, live in, in his word and just let it speak to you. And, 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 and um, yeah, stay close to Jesus. That's my final thought. Yeah, that's helpful. And. And one uh, a question I haven't really been asked, but I, I want these podcasts not only to help leaders and, and bishops and prospective planters, but also congregations who may be in sending churches who want to support or even join church plant teams. What what sort of and we will finish soon. What sort of advice would you give to people in ascending church who? are mulling over whether or not they should join a church plant team. What's the really important thing for them to be thinking about? You know, what should be their motive for wanting to go with a church plant, in your opinion? That's really interesting, because I thought we'd finished, but I'm really fascinated. <laughs> Sorry, it just popped no, into my fine. head as you were speaking. It's fine, because, <laughs> um, because only recently um, uh, somebody in our, in our church, in our established church, so a wonderful church, um, they came up to me and they said, they said to me, you know, I'm I'm really thinking about uh, I'm really thinking about uh, plants uh, joining the plant. Um, in fact, there's a few people like that who said to me, actually, every time we planted this, the next one will be the third one in this five year period. And uh, one couple said, each time we've planted, I've seriously considered it. And I think that is wonderful. Mm. That is music to my ears. That actually. People are, are prayerfully considering each time we do it. And the first one, they prayerfully considered it, and the Lord said no. The second time, they prayerfully considered it, and the, and the Lord said no. And the third time, we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> but but this other person, different to that, you know, said to me this time, you know, I'm really sort of, I'm really prayerfully thinking this through. And uh, so I think if you feel the nudge of God about about um, planting, about helping us to reach this city uh, for Jesus Christ, if you feel that nudge, then, you know, be talking to uh, us or your vicar, if you're in another church, be talking to the planter that's, that's going to do that and say, you know, uh, I'm feeling this this nudge. You know, can I explore that with you and go talk about it with somebody? Mm. And if you don't want to talk to the planter because you you feel he's going to sign you up too quick, talk to the vicar, talk to somebody else on staff, and say, mm. you know, what do you think? Do you think I might have something to offer? Um, but if you're feeling that nudge, actually, that that's most likely to be the Holy Spirit. Mm. And um, and so you know, explore it. Um, don't be close to it. And if the Lord says stay. Then stay and and participate yeah. and grow and and love being part of the church you're in and serve it 
and bless it so that it can keep it can keep planting over over the years and doing all it can to serve its community yeah so i think sometimes when i've spoken to to people i think sometimes they, they think oh yeah i i would i could think about going to a plant but i just don't know what i would offer a church plant and it's almost the same thing what we said at the beginning of the conversation you don't have to be a specific leader to plant a church i mean hey if god is going to use me and you <laughs> then he can use anyone yeah <laughs> and we, you don't right. have to be a specific person do you or have a spe- specific no. gift set i mean something i i think about is something my dad said to me is uh, just look for yourself and for others just to be fat if you can be faithful to the word of god and yeah. people if you can be available to participate and if you can have the humility to be teachable then that's all you need and you could be used anywhere yeah um, absolutely and that yeah that for me is, is is a winner that's really helpful thank you all right david well if people wanted to connect with you or to saint mary's what would be some of the ways they they could do that so the way to connect with us is through our our website so if you just put into google saint mary's bletchley it will come up really quickly and the contact details are, are all there yeah um and uh we've got our own Facebook page and, and different ways you can connect. It's pretty easy. Just put in St. Mary's Bletchley yeah. and it'll pop up. Brilliant. Boss, thank you for, for <laughs> speaking to me uh, for the podcast. I imagine we'll sign off now and I'll have my, my one-to-one grilling for another hour. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for all the planting you've done and thank you for being so willing uh, to step into this next phase of leadership that you're in and pioneer more planters. Um, in Milton Keynes uh, we're, we're so grateful to be here under your leadership and I'm sure others are too so um, so yeah thank you for what you're doing have a great day <laughs> bye